0: This podcast was recorded on May 6th, 2021. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. Broken class is now in session. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda, and I'll start off really quick up front by saying that my guest, who has been so gracious to let me hang out in her backyard today, she has been fully vaccinated. I have been fully vaccinated with both the Pfizer shots against the COVID-19 virus. We wanted to make sure you knew that because we are bringing back the in-person podcast for this show. I'm excited about it. It's, I'm excited. It, it feels good to be on the upswing of things in terms of the pandemic, but also um, being as cautious as needed when it's appropriate. So
1: so glad. Yeah. So glad to be here.
0: So <laughs> today I'm here with Rose Wildey. You are a candidate for um, re-election to the Lane Educational service district education service district (laughs) i had to look off your cheat sheet well i always knew it as lane esd which thank goodness for acronyms because otherwise we'd have to like memorize words and that's tricky sometimes so that's exciting um and i want to ask you right off the bat because we like to just get in and see who people are as human beings what is a controversial opinion that you have about anything
1: Mm. well i think that we need to invest in addressing historical inequities I don't think it should be current controversial. Cut the
0: camera. Cut the mic. (laughs) This half Japanese person will tell you that. That is absurdly controversial. Um, It does seem that we shouldn't just uh, assume that with the passage of time, those things have been alleviated. Seems like that's a lot of complacency.
1: Well, exactly. That's my reason for wanting to, is that uh, we have documented evidence of all kinds of reasons, uh, why uh, our state uh, has treated people with color of color of all nations, all ethnicities, uh, essentially anybody who wasn't white, unfairly, and it's had documented repercussions that echo through the years. So unless we intentionally restore and repair that harm, uh, we're never gonna get out of it. So I think we need to be very intentional around that. But I think that's something actually, when you really get down into it, most people agree. Sometimes right. they get scared, but when you address the fears and talk about the reality of what it looks like, most people think it's a pretty good thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And Oregon um, has this really interesting, whether it's paradox between being a very progressive place, people, people all over, people in the rural areas and in the urban areas and, you know, a various socioeconomic status. Like people do tend to want what's best. But they, sometimes people will be so insular, and there's a lot of incentive to look at what's best for my family, my kid, my household. That maybe it's where the communication has broken down. In terms of you know, it is good for all of us when we get rid of and when we eradicate these so these inequities and these inequalities.
1: I, I c- couldn't agree more, um, and I think that part of my journey and in, in learning about racial justice was understanding what I had to gain. Uh, from just freeing myself of white supremacy and historical inequalities and Mm -hmm. it's just there's so much to gain that it's like having the truth um (laughs) and being able to interact with reality as opposed to a fiction that was created to maintain unfairness
0: i like we talked on the phone a little bit to talk about (laughs) what we're going to talk about and you're very just like boom right to the point with the way that you speak and that's refreshing because sometimes you can tell that people who are in elective office or running for office are being as careful as they can with every single word i believe that it's (laughs) nice Uh to (laughs) (laughs) it's good to be careful i mean i think i am very much that way but but man if you're actually doing it to distort the reality of what you believe then what's the point you know
1: My history is pretty well documented, so I decided early on when I realized I was going to have a competitive election and -hmm. that people would be looking at me a little closer that the best thing I could do is be honest about who I am you know that in fact i'm no good at lying anyway <laughs> and the the truth is out there about me like i'm a committed anti-racist and yeah. you know i mean i have my good days and my bad days so you know yeah. like they say ally is a verb but right. you know i try to ally as much as i can but more than that i really i honestly and genuinely believe that i only have to gain by seeing the truth and the reality and letting go of uh, false beliefs. Sometimes those beliefs are very subconscious. So I still catch myself all the time, you know, and I could gosh, where did that come from? Well, I know where it came from, but it just is a surprise sometimes to look in the mirror and realize that I still have biases trained that make me think of myself as superior because of my race. And those are really uncomfortable truths, but I think... The more that I've done that, the easier it's been to recognize and to let it go. And then to interact with reality, which is a lot more fun place to be. Right. Yes.
0: (laughs) I also think, Rose, that like when people put this on, let's say they're like, "Okay, this person's on my ballot. Here's an hour long video on YouTube with 45 views, (laughs) two (laughs) likes. And they're like, I'm skeptical of this person. They're starting off talking about how they are an anti-racist. There is a lot of performativeness to the idea that because after this all of these um, uprisings in 2020 that if you are on the left side of the spectrum, it's kind of like you you have to like at least present yourself as though you are allied because because that's what's seen as popular. But where but like where in your background, let's say in your role as in two terms on Laney SD, where have you fought for these issues?
1: Well, um, most recently, we as a group of ESDs all around the state, we started a task force to address uh, equity and racial justice. Uh, And it was a long time coming. And I think that some of the motivation to do it did come from the uprising. And so I see that that uprising really provided an opportunity for folks who desired to push further on equity to really give a good, solid push. And we recently created a I guess you'd call it a position statement that just expresses our values. And next term, I intend to be working on implementing actions related to that statement. So it's things like, Teach the full Oregon history. And we have lots of legislation and curricula in Oregon now that's starting to do that. But it's a matter of, well, how much are we going to invest? How hard are we going to push? How much are we going to promote doing this? And that's kind of where you start to see the the boardsmanship and, and leadership skills apply. That you have to understand, how does a school district or school system work? in order to implement new curriculum. And then how do you, as a board member, monitor that in a way that you're not getting out of your lane and getting into the weeds around the the jobs of the professionals. And so that's what I'm excited to do, is to figure out what are the right things to be measuring and asking for reports on, and circling back continuously to see how we're doing.
0: I think that's the thing that stood out to me is teaching the full history. Um, it is really sad. I've known a lot of people who were in tears when they first learned what like the Oregon was set was settled to be a white utopia essentially and sundown towns and black Americans and Americans of color not even allowed to live in the Mm -hmm. state you know having to you know some of them worked on the near the California border or whatever Mm -hmm. worked during the day and then had to had to leave and then come back and, and and um Vanport, Oregon, are you familiar with any of that history?
1: I am a, a bit. so yes, yeah. I am a, a bit familiar that, yeah. it's a place where a lot of black people came to live mm-hmm. and um that uh, the city essentially didn't protect it and it was completely flooded and then seized for development and yeah. and they were pushed out of there as like a kind of almost like a disaster based gentrification, you know, I mean, yeah. I know if you read Naomi Klein, the Shock Doctrine, but it was kind of like, there mm-hmm. was that shock that's, you know, in this case, a natural disaster, which then sweep in, get the resources, get that land close to downtown and push people further out.
0: Right. I think um, hopefully a, like a podcast like this, what I like about it is I'm trying to get information out, not only because Lane County dropped the ball on printing a voter pamphlet and now <laughs> people have people on their ballots who they're trying to find information about and in whether it's an objective way or just a deep, informative way. Um, I'm trying to get that information out, and I think one thing that I worry about as a BIPOC person um, is, and I would say also as an LGBTQ plus person, is that um, messaging is a real challenge in society and it's, and I, I try to stay apprised of like what people are saying in conservative media, in, you know, far left media in mainstream media. Um, and I think that there, we've seen mobilization around, I mean, I would say even in, in our very local communities, but in South lane and other places around things like critical race theory is teaching, you know, white kids not to love their, their, um, themselves their history um teaching you know taking their pride away um or things like um uh, you know or the they're 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 raising a lot of critique about like trans women in in all arenas of life but in sports most recently um and i i'm like i think they might be winning like and and Mm -hmm. and i and i and i i say that because Maybe we're becoming more polarized or maybe they've just been able to um, make um, people who are standing for these issues of justice or what they view as these issues of justice look absurd in rare cases. And they they run this uh, this clip of this person looking absurd in front of millions of people. Um,
1: That's why I'm glad we have an hour. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but damn. Could, what if we had a whole panel? Like could we have like <laughs> right? more people like speaking <laughs> to these. I, I tried to reach out to Holly Johnson. Uh, and uh, I think that uh i would reached out through an email form on the website and everybody gets a lot of emails. So, um, well, I'd love to learn more about her at some point too.
1: I, well, if I might, Tell her just a, a briefly, because Holly and I have kind of teamed up a little. Sweet. Um, so Holly Johnson works at Lane Education Service District, mm-hmm. and uh, she is the director of our African American and Black Student Success Plan cool. and program. And uh, she comes out of working at the University of Oregon and also several community colleges, um, and so she really knows, you know, the high, the K twelve educational system and the higher education system really well. And so she was recruited and encouraged to run for the vacancy at Lane um, Community College. And she was appointed in February. Uh, She was the first black woman appointed or elected to that seat. And so she decided uh, upon appointment that she would file to keep the seat and run in this election cycle. So um, this has been an opportunity for Holly and I to work together. Both of us have a a countywide district. And um, many people have heard of Lane Community College. I think fewer have heard of Lane Education Service District. True. Uh, And so... Well, they have a
0: mascot. They're the Titans. You guys are the... Dorks who are giving out <laughs> educational resources to the 14 I think, districts.
1: I think there sorry. was. A, I think there was a wolf pack. Okay, sorry. <laughs> there was a wolf pack in one of our. We have a. We do have a, a couple of classrooms that operate essentially as independent schools, and I think right. they were the wolf pack. But I don't know if that kept up over the years. But anyway. the reason, yeah, the reason why I mentioned that is because both of us have uh, low information. You know, campaigns like there's just not a lot of information out, so this, we need to get information to voters. These are not high dollar elections. You know, there's not people donating thousands of dollars to these elections and um, no voter guide and so the biggest single expense is this little uh, this little guy right here our mailer and, yeah, and you
0: printed like 50 signs because you were like I don't have a big budget like take, <laughs> yeah. please take these pictures of the signs and <laughs> spread them like wildfire
1: <laughs> I know I know I felt a little sheepish about that that's
0: good I mean we, that...
1: we could have afforded more signs I just didn't know and you have to order <laughs> them so far ahead they're beautiful yeah. but um, yeah so Holly and I teamed up to do this mailer and I mean even even this little guy mm-hmm. just to send it to the people who we thought would vote and probably would vote for us Mm -hmm. still cost us seven thousand dollars just in postage
0: amazing yeah
1: and so so holly and i decided
0: printed i assume no actually the
1: beautiful people at ufcw printed it the united food and commercial workers i do see
0: a union bug on here though yes of course we're gonna get mad at you
1: of course oh yes (laughs) yeah well it's actually literally printed by a union
0: okay
1: okay. Uh, and and, um and that does not have all of our endorsements because we again we had to go for the endorsements early in the game yeah. before we had them all in. Right, but right. Um, we, we shared the expense on this, and we've done a few fundraisers together. And, you know, it's not just to save money. I, I have um, been in office as an incumbent for several years. Um, I think that I have some... Uh, we have some advantages to offer one another. And I wanted to make sure that... It, qualified BIPOC candidates had a chance to win. And, yeah. you know, Holly and I share a lot of values. We're well aligned. She's very well qualified for the position. Mm-hmm. Like her race isn't an issue, save that people like her have historically been excluded and discouraged from these positions. And so yeah. I thought, well, if we can help each other out, and it does help me too, you know, then that is very consistent with my values. And so uh, that's that's been um, a... And, and it's actually... As I told you before, like, this stuff benefits me, you know, I get my life is enriched by knowing people like Holly. And she's told me so much just in the context of getting to know each other better over the campaign so that I feel like I can be a better board member and a better person. So, yeah, yeah. vote Holly Johnson for LCC. <laughs> yeah, I
0: will definitely be voting for her. Thanks. Um, and it also helps that I, I haven't seen much campaigning from the, either of the two people in her in her race. And I just think that um, in a local election, you got to run a campaign. You got to you got to do something <laughs> like yeah. I I, uh, I I ran for office previously and I'm not going to talk about that at <laughs> length um, but I'm, I'm somewhat proud of how it went down in the sense that I didn't take any money. I was kind of like I don't like campaign finance. I don't I don't, I, th- I don't even I think there should be public funding of elections and so Same. live your values you know so I didn't ask for any money but like um. But at least I, I had a pretty robust social media effort. I had a website. I made it. I made an effort to get yeah. my. I had 64 policies on my website in eight categories. Like that's I impressive. Think, <laughs> well, I mean, whether it bore fruit or not, mm-hmm. as running coming in second out of seven in that race, but also not getting a very large vote total. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's a learning experience for yeah. sure. But I I think that um, I don't really understand people who. And, I'm, and I, I appreciate anyone who steps forward to run, but I don't understand getting into the race and people can't find anything about you. The Register Guard is calling and being like, you want to talk about your candidacy and you don't want to. Like, it's like it's seems, It seems to me, and, and I've got a question that I think can piggyback off this, that that's a little antithetical with the idea of being a public servant is you're going to be in the shadows, but you're going to ask people to put you in a position um, to represent them. Um, because you've been an incumbent for a while, I think people really... Um, it's really easy for people who are really well-intentioned to latch onto the idea that, like, hey, this person's an incumbent. Get out of there. We need different voices mm-hmm. in, you know. Um, and you're saying, I've been on the board for eight years. Mm-hmm. Here's, why, here's what I've fought for. Here's why I think you should reelect me. So what do you think about that instinct that people have that, like, whether it's drain the swamp or whether it's you guys aren't, um, you know, yeah. living up to the, your progressive values that you talk about all, every campaign cycle, you know, how do you make that argument that you deserve reelection?
1: Well, I, I say look at my record, and more importantly, look at how's Laney e- ESD doing? I mean, when I came in, and now, you know, I'm campaigning, so I had to take credit for things that happened under my term, <laughs> even though we all know that I'm one of seven board members with a very competent staff yeah. who have done these things, so... That said, uh, you know, when I first joined Lane ESD, we were looking at losing uh, Eugene School District 4J from our um, consortium, which would have been about a third of the budget. And uh, through the hard work of our superintendent and the best that I could do as a new board member and many others also working towards this, we were able to bring 4J back in and then continue to have all of our component school districts be part of the of the of the esd and so that does kind of give you a little window into how we work like our funding is 100 percent dependent on the local school districts being satisfied with what we do and you know when we had that uh, moment with eugene school district where it looked like they weren't and they were going to take their funds and go that was a real wake-up call to everyone um and it you know we were able to work it out we were able to provide a better service arrangement with Eugene School District and also able to communicate with some of the leadership that had some ideas that they ended up changing um, as a result of that, that uh, that we've been proud to have 100% participation. Um, and I'll also say that- That's awesome. Yeah. As, because as Lane you know, has
0: some probably some school districts that think very differently from one another i oh, would sure. say, you know yeah, yeah whether it's in what does dune city have one or well, know, monroe or i don't know i don't yeah. know the names of all of them They'd i know springfield Siusla, and yeah. then 4j and bethel because they're all in oh, eugene yeah, and, and springfield
1: yeah there's Florence. Like, there's the there's school district in florence right. called sayusla and mapleton and we've yeah. got oak ridge and junction city and then it's, there's you know i always i'll always miss one but <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah and there's school districts that are you know just a few hundred mm-hmm. to you know I think, 16, 17, mm-hmm. So 17,000. And I think in total, there's something like 45,000 in in the county. So there's a lot of diversity, and they're all locally governed. And so they do have um, really different local cultures. So we don't govern those districts. They govern themselves. But sure. we figure out what are the, the services that will help them meet their educational needs. And we're all in the same state, and we all have the same standards. And so a lot of the things we can find relevance across all 16, but we also give our districts options. They, uh, some things we do for everybody. We call those our core services. And some things are more like a menu where you Mm -hmm. say, well, I'd like to have this, this, and this, you know, like I'd like to have some slots in your special education program because we have students with particular educational needs that you could help us meet. That's going to vary from year to year.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that answer. Um, you always have such like, well-thought-out answers and i'm just over here like cracking jokes um and <laughs> well i
1: will say that that's experience yeah. you know <laughs> boom look at that tie-in
0: um and uh, but i can think about something that a lot of people whether they're local or they just are like my homie from college who like tunes into this um because i went to college in minnesota uh-huh. um there's like a national um conversation around education as well that mm-hmm. happens and um, there was a lot of attention paid to, let's say, the previous education secretary Betsy DeVos, and now um, the the new education secretary under Biden, whose name escapes me. I don't can't remember his name. Um, well, I don't know now either. Yes, but I, yes, yes. <laughs> I'll well, think of it in a minute. Yes. Okay, okay. Because I was gonna say, you know, to what extent? Maybe that actually is pretty <laughs> revealing, and will be encouraging for some people who don't like too much federalization. Like, to what extent is Laney S D affected by those changes in? Uh, federal policy
1: oh we're affected sure um absolutely federal because basically yeah. i'm
0: trying like in lay people's terms a lot of people are like the dang local community should decide what's going on in the schools and some people feel that there's limitations to that
1: well you know nothing's ever just a yes or no question, right? (laughs) So, I mean, my stepfather used to work in the U.S. Department of Education, and he has some very revealing stories about why you need to have some kind of federal oversight, and that the civil rights of students all across the United States were just simply not being met. Um, And the federal government had to intervene, and not just in the 1950s and 60s, but All throughout history to this day, there's still a federal office of civil rights that is in the Department of Education where people bring those concerns, um, particularly if they haven't been addressed at a local level. And so we, we I think that we do need some kind of backstop to provide to to protect our constitutional and civil rights. You know, the federal government doesn't tell us what to teach right but but yeah. we set our own standards people get really
0: uh they be, like common core was a big one under the obama years mm-hmm. for example that people talked about and also under under the trump administration and first of all they didn't realize that that was only for english and mathematics it was mm-hmm. only those two things and it wasn't federal; it was actually an association of governors, and and so yeah. we're part
1: of it. We bought in. We decided we wanted to buy into that, and there were some reasons, yep. uh, you know. Uh, like I am not uh, a PhD in education to delve mm-hmm. into the ins and outs of the, the curriculum. And talk when we... to me
0: in like eight years, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll still be like goofy <laughs> and weird, but I'll have like a little more credential. Yeah.
1: Well, the arguments in those days had more to do with um, consistency about what the value of a diploma implied. And right. you know that that when you have a diploma from the any place in the United States it it means certain basic things um, now at the time that we adopted that I was fairly new I didn't know some of the kind of deeper analysis to understand the movements in education that have been happening uh, and so now I might have a more critical response so at the time it was the really the State Board of Education decided to adopt Common Core so we didn't really have a choice we that was not a, a decision we got to make, really. We gave it our official rubber stamp, but right. no was not an acceptable answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'd say now that I am a little more tolerant of uh, regional variations because we have different regional cultures, we have different regional economies. Um, but, you know, English and math being fairly consistent. Oh, that's you know, not terribly controversial to me. Yeah, um, I, yeah. think, I think what we want to be careful about is getting into sort of a cookie cutter approach to education that interferes with the teacher's ability to teach. That really, I think what happens in a classroom is this kind of beautiful synergy with a teacher at the center. And we we often get in the way when we don't need to and, and don't have to. Um, you know, I think light accountability structures that do catch when something we're doing isn't working is necessary. Uh, and the authority to intervene when things are way out of balance is necessary for, you know, for fairness. Like, we need to have our civil rights protected. But... I'd say that beyond that, really, you know, we should give our teachers an idea of what we want kids to know, and then let them use their art and their talent and their skill.
0: Cool. Yeah, I think um, other people who are on the ballot would uh, really resonate with that statement in terms of letting teachers be teachers mm-hmm. um, to the extent that you know everybody re- should recognize that hey, this is a professional job. Yeah. These people are pr- are are very. Um, credentialed at what they do Mm -hmm. and um there can be a diversity of styles i i had teachers who were some of the most strict and fierce people you could ever imagine who were some of the best teachers that i ever had i also had teachers who um really promoted a a classroom culture of um whether it's compassion or just like laid back energy Mm -hmm. that was really necessary for me at times as well and i still learn from both of those people richard diaz (laughs) um and uh yeah i went to north international high school and we had some real fun times absolutely um another another um conversation that gets brought up is school choice um and um and really the argument there is essentially that um some people are really wanting public education to be really strong and wanting to make sure that um well, maybe you could explain a little better so I don't make sure I get something wrong. Um, but essentially, there are a lot of communities who say our public schools have failed us. We want the opportunity to send my kid to somewhere else where I don't live. Um, and then other people say that um, it's better for the community and cohesion and maybe for um, the public schools getting the resources that they have rather than having resources funneled to other places um, that that people... Um, you know, if you if you're in this area, you go to this school. Yeah. Right, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think there's there's not going to be a right answer that's that's going to be universal. Sure. Um, because as we've seen, you know, with time and technology changing, like more more things are possible than they used to be. Um, now that said, I am definitely a fierce proponent and protector of public education. Yeah. And I think that there are aspects where we are not succeeding as well as we should. Um. And that there needs to be some some way to address that when 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 it's not working. Right. And so that that's a place where I'm constantly trying to learn and explore because I don't necessarily know that. But what I will say is to challenge the narrative that says that U.S. education is failing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you you if you look at the data on the schools that are doing better in other countries, mm-hmm. their child poverty rate is like half or a third or a quarter of ours
0: yeah
1: um and that you have to look at the whole picture of what's happening in in the united states and with families that if those if those kids are hungry and distracted and unstable housing and trauma and community violence and everything else going on well yeah it's going to be harder right (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know and we're a much more heterogeneous society than some of those other countries people talk about finland and it's like well (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're mostly white European Finns. Yeah. I mean, not, yeah. uh, you know, and they have social, they're of a social democracy where there's very little child poverty. Right. So if you compare the, the kids that have similar incomes, we're doing great.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, um, I don't think that's a, that's not a get out of jail free card. I mean, like sure. we need to do a better job of teaching all the kids regardless of how they come. But also that's why I like e- the ESD because we are a little bit more, cross sector in our capacity to to work in the communities like we're not only working with schools we're also working with businesses we're working with the you know bureau of labor and industries we're developing programs that will fuel the next generation of our economy so there's kind of a relationship there
0: i think that one thing you know you're talking about industry a little bit maybe strengthening connections between um let's say career and technical education is something Mm -hmm. that you know, my my new friend, Laurel O'Rourke, cares about a lot, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that I appreciate, as somebody who, okay, I'm half Japanese, right? And, and I love my mom. She didn't go to college. She got a high school education, and she was very strict about me going to the... I mean, she, there, was a, there was an extent to which she was like, go wherever you're going to be happy, but you will be happiest at the most elite school you can go to. <laughs> and, you know, like, I had a really stressful senior year, and I had mm-hmm. applied to a bunch of places that i got waitlisted at a bunch of a bunch of like big brand name schools or whatever and uh, because my grades had tanked because i was so stressed out and uh, i ended up going to, to Carleton college which uh was already like an experience of going there and feeling like oh everybody around me their parent is like a doctor or a lawyer or a professor that's different my dad's homeless my mom's a sushi server like that's a different experience um and um i think that that what i appreciate is okay Take the foot off the gas pedal. Let these kids be human beings. Also recognize that like they got to be able to um, have some some skills, you know, skills before bills is what is what Laurel says. Uh Um, And uh, I I appreciate, you know, because like Princeton, Yale, um, Amherst, they're all going to be fine. Like they're still going to get like the people Uh who like have the tiger parents that really want their kids to go there and like better get a 34 plus on your ACT and blah, blah, blah. Um (laughs) But but let's also like give students a chance to have some skills, whether they don't pursue higher ed or have technical and vocational training. Um, where is ESD fitting into that picture?
1: Oh, so much. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like you and I had a similar experience with that. There was kind of a vocational track and a college track. And they really, you couldn't move between the two once you chose or went in direction. And sometimes it was chosen for you. Um, and now career and technical education that prepares you for college while preparing you for a industry related career and so some professions, like let's say your aspiration is to be, you know, a physician or a doctor, right? You know, yeah. that there's lots of higher education you have to get. Yeah. But you can still do a program that you would come out and be able to get a job as a medical assistant, start working on some of your, maybe you could get a licensed role eventually, like you could be an LPN, that kind of, that kind of job where you are able to earn more than you would if you just had a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. And you'd be able to compete for more exclusive and more well-paying jobs. And I think about myself, like I was college track only, you know, and go to the best school you could get into. Again, similar experiences. Yeah. But what did I do the whole Congrats, time? Congrats,
0: you got into Rice. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Best school in Texas. I got Texas. a big,
1: big brain on this one. <laughs> oh,
0: you do. You do. Let's That's be real. actually
1: how I got my first job. You was... were like, take that, Marty. I don't, I don't know what you're sorry. But right, oh, no, that yeah, competitiveness no, is totally there. <laughs> I'm going to say this for everybody to hear now. Marty's smarter than me. All right, Marty, you got oh, it. Oh, no. <laughs> why, would you, why would
0: you admit that? <laughs> um, wherever Marty went, I'm sure it's a lovely place. Wow, that sounded <laughs> condescending. Rewind that back. Marty went to a great school. Dang it! All right. Marty went
1: to all public schools. <laughs> for people who don't know, Marty
0: Wildey is the state representative for House <laughs> District 11 in the Oregon uh, House of uh, Representatives.
1: He's got a crazy big brain. And he's your but bro. It's about me. It's about me. I'm smart. I'm, I'm smart enough for me. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> that my my whole point about that was that I worked for minimum wage all through high school and college. Bingo. What's the, you know.
0: We understand each other. Yeah, right?
1: (laughs) But also it's kind of like, maybe I could have actually had a few skills and worked for a little bit more than minimum wage through high school and college. I mean, why is it that I'm going to this elite school? That's you know very similar experiences, and yet you know barely being able to pay my rent. It's a it's a real strange <laughs> it's a strange yeah. world. So I, I what I like about career and technical education is that you now are in our Oregon way you can do both, and it helps uh, increase our graduation rates. People who take CTE courses, even just one, are way more likely to graduate. And I think some of the magic is that you get people that are really passionate about the work that they do and they need to get a a teaching credential but not as um, lengthy a process to get the CTE teaching uh, credential. So we help people navigate those paths so that they can actually teach for credit in high school in a CTE coursework and we take our um, already certified teachers and help them get matched up with an industry experience over the summer. They call it an externship and so like one of them went and worked at a computer programming place and he learned all about games and software and like just you know like I've already extended Exhausted my vocabulary about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go that direction, um, yeah. but, but they did. And then they were able to come back and they were able to teach, you know, they were teaching like a computer science course, but they were teaching it from a very theoretical approach. And and now they were able to talk about like, this is the cool stuff that you can do, you mm-hmm. know, and this is what you need to know and be able to do and like bring in the arts and the math and the science and the engineering and all the different pieces and apply that to a real world situation. And so it really, it brings together people who've had really different um. Approaches mm-hmm. to their education and and puts the two together. And for students, it's just a magic combination. They're excited. They're interested. They see relevance, and they potentially have a skill they can use immediately after high school. As if they are, you know, start a family young, just want to need to be working in order to support themselves or others have caregiving responsibilities. Like not everybody can just be a full time student right out of high school. So,
0: yeah,
1: um, I think that's a reality. Is to look at, you know, what do people need to be successful? And what are the different paths that they can take? So I right. like it. I'm I'm sold. The Laney SD sold me on career and technical education. <laughs> nice, awesome,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think like um, a lot of the really wonderful. Okay, we talked about Oregon history and like how people, mm-hmm. um, some people really want to defend it. Uh, and and I think one of the one of the really um, there, there's a powerful Oregon has always been uh, a place with people who work hard and and are industrious. And um and and I think that like you know that them feeling left out of the conversation allowed for someone to run for president in 2015 16 and you bet. and say i'm the one who's fighting for you guys i see mm-hmm. you guys mm-hmm. and i and i and i and we need to recognize that like um that like people who like get their their hands dirty and work work in that kind of way like hell yeah like power to you like i admire that you know yeah, uh, and, yeah. and that's and you're not lesser because like i read this awesome text in my you know history right. three, 305 <laughs> class or whatever yeah. who's
1: gonna survive the uh, you know complete complete collapse of society it's not gonna be the nerds right, <laughs> right, right <laughs> well right. maybe but you know it's because they have figured out how to grow food and how to get clean water right you know Absolutely. i mean these are these are things that are not so far away as we think like those wanna, are s- skills we need <laughs>
0: but the nerds can make cloned meat i want to do that i want to <laughs> eat that that sounds really cool that's right it's one of those interesting ethical like situations <laughs> well i well i cow didn't die but it is beef like should you eat it i don't know um i'm a meat eater um but i actually think like culturally for me like fish oh my gosh such a big part of my heritage i wish that we weren't overfishing uh so here you there actually honestly food is it's you know it's one of those basic human needs and that's one of those <laughs> times where it's like hmm, mm. your idealist ethical um views of the world come right up against I got to eat or I got to mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to have this thing to survive. Um, that's an interesting thing. We could probably go into that for a little while. Well,
1: well that is an industry that we uh, look to for jobs. Also, you know, yeah. that's one of the sectors of our local economy um, that uh, you kids can get into. I mean, I came from um, my dad was a farmer. You know, I, I didn't decide to go that route, but there's a lot to know, I mean, about how to be successful, about how to create markets, about how to, you know, work with others. And he was a really small time farmer, but um, managed to make a living through my whole life. And and now I, there's this whole economy around here. we got a great climate for growing things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and who doesn't love going to the farmer's market and being a part of that community? And that's, so I, that's, I try to eat the local food, you know, I try to, try to stay connected in that way. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, you know, you were talking about being proud of your history, and, um, I, I have. I have, I understand that. Like my part, some of my relatives, well, all of my relatives were colonists. They're colonizers who came to places that, you know, were cleared through genocide, through disease, through wars of the native population and then benefited from the economic impact of slavery, which every single American benefited from, whether they own slaves in their family or not. Uh, It's like a foundation of our economy for decades. So Mm -hmm. it absolutely, every single one of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, knowing that reality, like I didn't, I couldn't have, I didn't do that, those things, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't born, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> we're doing the best with what we have, where we are now. Yeah. Um, and yet I can still acknowledge that there's many advantages that came to me because of that history. Like my family on the wildy side, they moved into land that had uh, previously belonged to the click Tribe, and you know, part. I think part of like what's fascinating is just to look at those stories and to say, you know, like at one point I might have been said, "Oh, they were pioneers, and I'm so proud of them, and they had hard work and all that." And it's like that's also true, yeah. And it's that they were able to do that because somebody else drove off the people who lived there. Now there are still Uh, tat people in that in that area. Here, there's still Kalapuya here. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So I don't mean to imply that they're completely gone. However, you know that land was not ours to take and we took it
0: right this that's so beautiful what you said because i am 27 i grew up seeing the the evolution of social media i love social media i think there's some perverse and like questionable like interests in terms of like if you have you watched that documentary the social dilemma I
1: don't know. Oh, oh, oh no i think i didn't want to know uh, yeah that's
0: one of those things we don't want to know for someone who loves we wanna education. consume. um yes and that was a little maybe maybe uncomfortable yeah. but like okay there's so much brevity and there's so much um promotion of brevity like like mm. you you write a smaller message the font is bigger like when i remember when that happened i was like what they're trying to make us have like shorter messages <laughs> um and you know and a little less from you please and so the reason yeah (laughs) and that's fair i've got those people like (laughs) they're they're, maybe posting essays you know (laughs) not links to pdf like in the actual post is that so um but but here here it is you said Mm -hmm. it so easily because if you take the first part of this thing you said i didn't i wasn't the colonizer i didn't do that Mm -hmm. that's gonna be loved by some people and hated by other people mm-hmm. in just that statement. Then you get the other part of the statement, yeah, yeah. which is I benefit from a legacy of white white supremacy and terrorism like against communities. Yes, absolutely. So that it's going to flip. So The same people who hated the first one are going to love that one. And, the, and But it's the reality is in the recognition of both of those things.
1: Well, and also being able to learn that. But you
0: can't post that whole paragraph and have it get as much retweets as the little for, sh- for real lauren bobert is a congresswoman uh, oh, and, well, we'll and, and i, I just name? really am just a. I, I don't want to just hate read <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I that's a term but i don't have hatred for people right yeah but i see the tweets and i'm like everyone's just trying to act like 45 everyone's uh-huh. just trying to act and uh it's just like these little quips and they're so freaking the truth is so lost yeah when you reduce to a five word Thing.
1: I am I am not made for sound bites and it, it, it's funny because my cat's off camera here but uh, the last time I was interviewed by a um, you know a TV news station, it was about some this big, huge event that was happening. Oh, it was when the the God Guns and Trump rally was downtown right by the Saturday market. And right. we were organizing some counter protests. And we had like this 20 minute interview where they, I think, had five words and more time was spent on my cat who walked through the scene. <laughs> so oh my gosh. she's locked up for now.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> because, right.
1: Because, yeah, that they, you know, and they know their audience. They know what yeah. people want what, to, what people enjoy in that medium and what they have been trained to appreciate and to look for. Yeah. So, right. Um,
0: and i think there's a culture also of like um so a lot of people are like wow the world feels unstable i feel and as human beings as mammals we think that we are under threat when things occur that are unfamiliar or or destabilizing and so why i say that is because the progressive left looks at looks at, at those media outlets and says this is so corporatist and so unable to tell the real stories and so reductive and so soundbitey and not reflective of us. Even when you come and cover our events, you do it in a way that relies on a framing that is too simplifying or whatever. And then the, um, the conservative right looks at those and says, you this is such a liberal area and you guys are just keep covering these black lives matter rallies. And this is such a liberal, liberal media. And then, and then the two sides go like, Mm. like, Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of those things that that makes me, because they both basically feel like um, it doesn't re- represent them, and it's mm-hmm. actually against them. Mm-hmm. And um, that is one thing that is a real concern of mine: is that we don't just disagree; we hate each other. You know, we don't just disagree; yeah. we think that that um, the other side is an existential threat to us.
1: I, I and sometimes I feel it that. is. Sometimes it is. I'm
0: not saying that it's never an existential yeah. threat. Um,
1: But maybe less often than we might think. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, like doing this task force on racial justice and equity, the representatives came from all corners of Oregon and uh, they had a lot of uh, ideas about themselves and what others might think about them. And there was a lot of that rural or urban sort of tension of that some of the more populous counties would be kind of holier than thou yeah. or that some of the less populous counties would have, you know, be racist. I mean, like these were fears that they articulated, um, you know, that you're going to think I am like this, but that's not what I'm like. But when yeah. I vote against this particular language or this sort of thing, it's because, you know, in my region, it has this context and. You know, we took several months to come up with that, and we really made a lot of time for those conversations. And I was so nervous. I mean, when we start, we part of the reason why people don't do this work is because they're afraid it's going to blow them apart. Uh, yeah. and, and I was so nervous when we decided to do this. I was the chair of the Governance Council, and we we're saying we're going to do this. And, you know, I was afraid it wasn't going to. Like work that we would hate each other, um, but you know because this is a group of folks that has worked together, that has some history, that has linked arms over other issues in the past, uh, and it is unified by our care of kids and periodically remind ourselves of that. <laughs> it helps totally. to remind ourselves of that. You totally. know, we really were able to have some of those uncomfortable conversations, and I found myself pleasantly surprised. Now, you know, I didn't say that at the beginning. I was like, "This is going to work. It's going to be great. I have confidence." But you know, I was I was worried, and sure. so it was was really a beautiful thing to see um, people really rise to the occasion you know and it's like some yes sometimes I can be a little holier than thou and that needs to be checked. So that's like- I'm so
0: experienced Mm -hmm. as that Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. often.
1: (laughs) And it's not helpful. I'm not proud of it. And I feel like I'm not, I feel
0: like I'm so like down to earth. I'm like of the people and it's like, bro, come the hell on. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well sometimes I get scared and afraid I'm not gonna get what I think I need and I become um, inaccessible. But I think that when we're able to relax and to not be afraid of being attacked You know, like if I thought you were going to edit this into a soundbite and use it to destroy me, then, you know, I mean, I suppose people can do that these days, just taking your video. But such is life. You know, like I said, the horse is out of the barn with me. (laughs) You know who I am. Um, And I just have to, I have to be myself. I have to live with that. And we have to. I think trust people a little bit better that given the chance to to have relationships with one another, they will treat each other better than we see on social media or on TV. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cokie Roberts said that. I don't know who that is. Cokie Roberts was a a news reporter. I think she passed away just recently, but she talked, she was the daughter of a... um, Senator, I think, and she said that back in the old days, the Democrats, and the Republicans, their kids would go to school together. They would have, you know, softball games. Like it's like sure they might duke it out in Congress, but then after hours, you know, they all went to the same cocktail parties, and their kids went to school, and they knew each other. They had dinner to get together. And she said that hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, and so it's that. And she said part of that you talked about draining the swamp. It said it became um, under Trump, especially the whole drain the swamp idea, unfashionable to spend any more time in DC than you needed to be. They Mm. shortened the calendar of the week Mm. so that it was not as advantageous to put down roots in the DC area and live there while serving your term. And so people would go back home every weekend and they wouldn't form relationships with one another. And that made polarization that much easier. And it's amazing how these little subtle things like making your work week shorter in the Congress, to facilitate folks just not forming relationships.
0: You just um, flipped something for me so so beautifully because I think, yeah, Ron Wyden should be here. Peter DeFazio should be here. I think about that all the time. But at the same time, we tend to elect them because we know that they do know our community and they know what's going on here. Of course, they're connected. Of course, they have an office and staff here and they're here. But also, why wouldn't you want those people to be working with their peers often who don't agree with them Mm -hmm. whether within the party or across the aisle. And that's, that's, I I didn't know about that, that issue. I did know that, um, you familiar with Tulsi Gabbard, Mm -hmm. former representative from, from a district in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, and she had talked about that, about how she basically had been scoffed at and looked at by fellow Democrats as, um, what are you doing Mm -hmm. by simply the act of being friendly and hanging Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. with Republicans. Um, And gosh, like in what world do we really think that that pure adversarial culture is going to get us better results for the whole country Yeah, (laughs) for the foreign policy, for anything? (laughs)
1: Well, flipping it back to education, it's that that's the opposite of what works like. Like, I don't think that competition has much of a place in our educational system. And I can still see lots of places where that's a a factor. But that, you know, really in life, she's trying to take away your
0: sports, everybody. (laughs) <laughs> this is it. This is it. Well, you every know what?
1: Laney he doesn't doesn't oversee any sports. It's gonna say fifty
0: to fifty <laughs> at the end of every game. <laughs> I'm just joking.
1: Well, competition is fun. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that that can be motivating, and you know all of that. But what I'm talking about is competition, like setting up schools as in a kind of capitalistic model, which is what the ref, kind of reform effort is about, is uh, kind of introducing these false ideas of competition. You talked about charter schools and privatization and this whole idea that schools compete against each other. And if, you know, this school isn't good enough, well, then the parents will send their kids to another school, which sounds great because we've all been indoctrinated into, you know, <laughs> capitalism. But Go off, Rose. <laughs> but what really happens is that, like, some kids can't leave, and those schools just fall apart. So you know, all the schools should be excellent. and we need to keep working on what's the best way to get to that. I mean, I don't nece- I don't think I have all the right answers, but I am at least willing to hear the critique.
0: So many people feel like it's a zero-sum game, and I can't I can't fault them all for that mm-hmm. because it does feel so much like if this school is is, is underperforming, like and you're allocating more resources to them mm-hmm. then my school where I send my kid who's been doing great is losing out. Mm-hmm. And how do you um how do you actually convince cause I I talked to one thing I mentioned with Laurel is is I think sometimes our side, our team, to the extent that I think that's a thing, um, isn't focused enough on persuasion. Mm-hmm. How do you persuade people um to go with what you've been thinking talking about for this whole forty five minutes plus <laughs> is I win when the people around me who don't look like me, who don't speak the same languages as me at home, who uh, who, you know, may not have the same gender identity as me um, when they win as well or, or succeed or thrive.
1: Well, you know, when when the pie is too small, it's hard to cut everybody a generous slice. Right. So I'm a big fan of bigger pie. <laughs> and and nice in Oregon, up until the Student Success Act passed, we underfunded schools uh, about 20% shy of what we should buy our best guess of what do it would cost to give kids a Pretty good education is the way we talk about it, a quality education model. Mm. And we made a big jump when we passed the Student Success Act, and we targeted it towards certain things, but had it flexible enough that most school districts could use it.
0: I talked to Julie Fahey, representative of House District 14, about that. Mm -hmm. I just give these little intros just to show that I know what districts people serve. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I was like, why was that a party line vote in the House? And she said it was a party line vote in both chambers, you know, and I'm glad it got done. Mm-hmm. um and, and and it needs to continually be something it's it authorized mm-hmm. a bunch of funding for schools mm-hmm. and I know you've been working in having somebody like um specifically with ESD mm-hmm. doing implementation yeah. on that um but it's 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 sad yeah let's get bigger pie please let's just be something we agree on mm-hmm. yeah uh
1: you know I, I can't speak to it but I I have yet to find a tax that Republicans will vote yes on mm-hmm. so um until we can cross that bridge i don't know what else to do so
0: do you have any sympathy for i know that that is a it's a hard line position mm-hmm. but uh, to say like all taxes are bad or something but like um are you sympathetic at all to like okay people move to idaho because they really do feel like the tax burden in oregon is too high and and, and they do feel disempowered in deciding where that money goes and and the wages that they make as human beings are not sustaining them enough and the yeah. cost of living and and everything is going up inflation is going up um I, i'm i'm sympathetic to that idea yeah. that taxes when you have a limited time to get educated about a race because you're working your three jobs and raising your four kids and whatever it is you may be having some passion or being yeah. on the side like it, it it is an easy thing to say that's a tax therefore it's bad mm-hmm. but um you know well
1: we could find a lot of money by just getting rid of the tax expenditures which is the taxes we don't collect and we give away like i'm i'm not super fond of tax exemptions you know and yeah. and mostly those benefit very already very well off people or corporations yeah. so um so i'm not a you know revenue expert but what i will say is they spent a long time trying to figure out What what would be a good strategy for raising money? And they had to take into account the culture of Oregon and people's feelings around taxes and what they'd be willing to pass. And even with all the compromises, they still couldn't get a single Republican vote and including, you know, ones that were on school boards, you know, uh, and that was very disappointing to me. Um, But, you know, I understand. I don't think anyone was corrupt in their vote. I think they voted their their beliefs and their values. And yet. We needed the money to come from somewhere in you know, they weren't really coming up with any viable alternatives. So or the alternatives were things that would really grossly overtax the lowest in- income folks, you know, so flat taxes, things like that. It's like I'm, I'm in favor of a progressive tax. I'm in favor. If yeah. you make more money, you pay more money. Um, corporate activity tax. That's sort of a new thing to me, but it's not the only state that has one.
0: Right. Well, um, you know AOC is somebody i admire i don't agree with her all the time i admire the, her tenacity and i think her sincerity and i think um, you know she brought up marginal tax rates mm-hmm. uh, a couple, like a year or two ago and said mm-hmm. something about 70% and everybody was like you're going to tax my money at 70% and just the simplest and i'm an idiot when it comes to taxes mm-hmm. sometimes Marginal tax rate means that it's every dollar after a certain point right, right. is taxed at that rate, and you're not going to get to that point. Like maybe you've got a really cool business and you, and you think you're going to be a multimillionaire soon, but like,
1: homie, your, you're probably not. It's your second ten right. million dollars. But you know, then can't
0: we like do something about it? You, mm-hmm. you're on the ESD. Let me get fired up now. What are you doing to get these people educated about taxes? Like, like the like you know, um, a lot. It's so easy to to point to. I don't know even how well it is accurate to us locally but like people don't know how to do their taxes people don't know the um gosh what are the other things i'm thinking of but like they always talk about like um like whether it's home ec or these really like tangible life skills things mm-hmm. um that aren't necessarily the academic or certainly not the liberal mm-hmm. arts things but like what do i need as a human being as yeah. an adult well, I mean, they have about like, finance
1: classes and things right, like that. Okay. Finance classes, yeah. or I, they say consumer finance. And I think, that okay, there's word, a tweet. I remembered it now. That it's word. like, shut the
0: hell up and square dance. Why don't I
1: know how
0: to do my taxes? Shut up and square dance.
1: <laughs> I know. I know.
0: Didn't mean to cut you off.
1: <laughs> no, it's okay. I was like, mm, you have to ask a PE teacher about square dancing. I'm sure there's a reason, but yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Maybe it was to get like boys and girls to touch, <laughs> like, uh, you know, in like say- social sanctioned ways yes. uh, who knows who knows it was right, that right, awkward right. that's all I remember about it Right. but yeah yeah I mean understanding taxes for sure well I've had to learn a lot I'll tell you it's like a whole day just you go to a conference you can do a whole day on school finance just to understand what goes into all the schools because it's complicated so I'm not right. going to do that in three minutes but we have left yeah. but what I'll say is that our schools you know we're paid for a combination of income tax and property taxes essentially yeah and yeah yeah
0: I will um, not let you off the hook without talking about music, though, because mm-hmm. I always ask um, people who are in public service about music that on a personal level, and I think people have gotten a sense of you as a person, and mm-hmm. I think, and I like that, um, you know, what really inspires you and what's important to you. Musically. I, it, yeah. 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 And I like to hear artist names. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, like I say, I've never heard of anyone when we before we started this interview. and it's true. like i I, I developed like uh, my interest in in musicians pretty early on, and I've just stayed loyal. So I listened to everything the indigo Girls ever did. They're probably my favorite, and you can nice. just kind of go down that theme. <laughs>
0: I can't name one song. I know that they exist.
1: <laughs> I probably know all the words to some of that to most of their songs. Sweet. and they write they're like Dylan, you know, they write like, you know, it's not just a you know chorus, verse, chorus, verse. It's like, no, the chorus is different every time. <laughs> nice, nice. So, yeah, poetry cool, and, uh, cool. you know, just, uh, just, uh, just, they're my favorite, I'd say. So Young you Rose was
0: one. into the Indigo Girls? Yeah,
1: yeah. and Old yeah. Rose. Yeah, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, all right. Mm-hmm. Is there
0: any, I, because for me, I understand that oh. we all live
1: we're going to go see the Flaming Lips. We just found out they're going to be at the Crystal Ballroom no next way. year. Oh my yeah, gosh. we're like, pandemic is definitely going to be over yes. in a year, right? Yes. Right? So yes, we're going to see the Flaming Lips, which is cool. so much fun.
0: Hey, here's a current news update. Um, this will come out in a couple of days, but um, you know, the U.S. finally said... We're going to restrict um, patent patent rights for the vaccine, essentially so that like not the big, big pharma corporate giants can can be the only ones that produce these vaccines. And that, of course, benefits us because um, developing nations and people all over the world will have much easier access places that have had a really hard time. India, I'm praying for y'all like that's been a really, really Seriously. difficult. I've, I've been hearing harrowing stories. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's 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 exciting that that's going to be happening. Pandemics
1: um, don't know borders. I yeah. used to work in HIV and AIDS uh, services mm-hmm. and, so and, and have a degree in public health. And so it's a it's been an interesting time for that. And yes, pandemics don't know borders. So um, if there's any place where the coronavirus or whatever the next pandemic is, yep. is, is able to continue to infect folks, it'll just keep coming back, keep coming back. So there's... No point in uh, these, uh, you know, hoarding of vaccines. And and I I actually think that, you know, a a stronger World Health Organization should have been putting this these agreements in place from a public health perspective much sooner. Mm. You know that, uh, you know, you got to look and decide what are the values that you're going to use. Uh, and, and in terms of how you're going to roll out vaccinations, and then you do those. It's like, for example, Oregon decided to put educators at the beginning of the line. A lot of other states didn't do that. Yeah. Was that right? Was that wrong? Well, it depends on your definition of right and wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's complicated. We decided we wanted to have our educators able to return to the classroom um, sooner. So that our kids could get back into school and and mostly benefit from the social opportunities. Um, It's not so much for academic. There's some academic gains, but socially was where it's at. Those kids, I mean, I've got a 10 year old inside and like he he's been missing his friends.
0: So. Yeah, he just has to play him on Among Us. That's, he's, <laughs> yeah. You're saying yeah, That's, what he's up that's to. right. His main his main yeah. his
1: main social engagement has been he's figured out how to use Zoom for social purposes, so I'm proud yeah. of him, you know. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's learned something new. But Good. you know, Good. I'd like for him to actually breathe fresh air be outside run around <laughs>
0: is he coming to the flaming Lips show no yoshimi battles the pink robots he's not gonna be in there he screaming.
1: he was in my belly at the mcdonald theater when cool. before when he was uh, before he was born nice um but For what
0: show oh Do
1: you remember? well it was the flaming lips oh it was oh, oh yeah flaming oh, yeah. oh yeah. Nice, yeah, nice. yeah cool um so yeah i still remember like can he feel that in yeah. here yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 well crystal ballroom is a little bouncy you might have felt that. it's and a little if, bouncy if you were there if you had been there yeah um you know, but I'd mentioned that, um, you know, we all live different lives or whatever, but like I can't imagine, I just can't imagine someone not being into any hip hop at all. And I'm not saying that you're not into any hip hop at all, <laughs> but um, uh, like you know, m- maybe because I'm a rapper, but before I was a rapper, I was just like, oh, this is like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> like not just the best music ever. This is like the greatest thing ever. And uh, my whole my whole, I think about hip hop not every day, but every mm. half hour. Nice. On some level, nice. Um, and
1: I think this is an area where I'm kind of a almost a blank slate. I did enjoy the Grammys this year, cool. And I did start looking into is it Megan The Stallion? Megan The Stallion. Yeah, yeah. I I liked that. I loved. Um, I loved in the Super Bowl. Was it uh, J Lo and uh, Shakira? Okay. Yeah, yeah, together. Okay. Yep. And like, I I studied a couple an- years ago. yeah, I studied anthropology. Yeah, I was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I studied anthropology, and so for me, I'm always kind of like, where's that coming from? And so I'm like watching hip hop, and I'm seeing like all the like deep cultural roots. And so yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of naive, I guess, not very mm-hmm. well exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I-, I would say that I'm I especially now that I kind of understand more yeah that you know kind of where is this coming from where are the lives We're like who, who are these people you yeah. know in like all their history like beyonce i like beyonce i know like so, I've never really liked like yeah. yeah i'm not cool Oh, you just okay. watched her
0: super bowl thing too okay fine um i had a chat um in the early days of this podcast back when it was called less stupid which i think is a less good name for the podcast um uh, that we uh, like
1: that also okay
0: it's a it's a uh, with a woman named amia nectar she's a local musician in town mm-hmm. she sings r&b and she's a really wonderful person um and she's a black woman who uh, was talking with me about that j-lo and shakira mm-hmm. halftime show mm-hmm. performance and one thing she brought up was that she was like um loving that they were so um empowered as women who i think are in, like in their 40s yeah. and like and like um the proclaiming of their sexuality yeah. you know and that's something that um so many freaking bs um media influences and sources are like saying uh you know, isn't appro- isn't uh, like appropriate or palatable or whatever. Yeah. and um, absolutely puritanical. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's cool that like um, you brought up Megan Thee Stallion. She's I- incredibly assertive about sexuality in her music Love it. too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. like yes, like let's let's uh, and you know, you might have heard about Kendrick Lamar in uh, the curriculum, oh, like I being did. Taken out I North did. Eugene, mm-hmm. and and um, puritanical is a good way to put it because it is a, a clear outgrowth of um, and Maya s- talked about this on my show um you it's not an abstract concept you can point to it and say why is this structure exists that says that this music that that won a pulitzer prize is not um appropriate for children and not appropriate for an, a learning environment for young right. people right be- because it, it celebrates sex or 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 it uses you know this word you know i ah that that to me is like Let's figure. It, let's figure it out, yo. I'm not a parent yet, so I'm. I'm sure a lot of there are parents that are gonna say, "Hey, that's not appropriate for my kid." I don't have a kid, so I. I feel like yeah, there's a limitation to my ability to speak to your experience, ma'am, or or sir, or or individual, but I am frustrated by that instinct, yeah. and well, it often and it often I feel, I feel like it it's um it's a shield for racism uh, to mm-hmm. to say uh because because. There's a lot of country stars th- that mm-hmm. <laughs> you you don't object at all who o- are constantly over-sexualizing and, and um, performing some of the same things that you um, will only call out if it's your excuse or the way that you're willing to call out these black artists.
1: I mean, you said it best. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's <I> w- <laughs> the first thing I've said best on this whole show. Aww, come, it took an hour come and now, three minutes. <laughs> nice.
1: I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think that there's racism and there's sexism. Uh, and, and one of the things that gets to me is when people try to use feminism as a uh, justification for actually being like anti-sexuality. Mm. Like, you know, there's nothing gross about women owning their own sexuality. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing inappropriate about it. And I yeah. think that um, essentially this, the task of, of, of reproduction, like literally reproduction, but as well as social reproduction is often borne by women and femme people. And that those t- roles, are in were intentionally degraded. And so that's why women and women's sexuality is frowned upon because we degrade those things that we don't want to value or give status or power to. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as a patriarchy, that's what we did. And so therefore, women's sexuality must be gross and wrong. And then add on top of that, the racial overtones, because well, apparently some kinds of sexuality are okay, but some are not. Yep. And so that's when I got into the you know the artists that I mentioned before. I thought, well, I just loved it because it was a lot of there's a lot of hip action and a lot of you know emphasis. And I was thinking <laughs> about some of the African dance that I've seen yep. um, in this community. There's a lot of you know proponents and people from West Africa yeah. that come and do dance. I've and seen a
0: lot of really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, and so then I'm sort of see those influences. Was, oh, and I'm hearing the beats. And I'm like, oh, and well, I'm getting it. And then like learning more from people who've taught me about their culture or, or where this art form comes from and the symbols and what it means. And then I appreciate it that much more. So it's kind of like a little bit of education helps me expand my aesthetic quite a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. Um, it, it reminds me of... It, it just, I, I think the puritanical culture is a way for certain people to have control over it and i and Mm -hmm. i think you know it reminds me of um like alcohol in places in europe where they're basically like yeah um a 10 year old having a beer in the or or sipping a beer or whatever Mm -hmm. in the home or they just i don't think there are countries where they just don't have a restriction of course i'm not saying that 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 uh, it's okay for young people to abuse alcohol, but you might be disincentivizing them from abusing it because it's not mystified, and then they go off and they have this crazy party, like you saw at UO with this picture mm-hmm. of all these college students. They had to pack each other, pack together, like you know, without masks or anything. Um, well, that's a COVID situation too. But all I'm saying too is that um, that's a different scenario, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I rambled. <laughs> it's it, it, it's. If you teach people that this is a part of human life, Uh then they're not going to have this like I'm rebelling against my parents and against society um, by, you know, going heavily into this thing. Yeah. um,
1: Well, you think about, you know, why do people make unhealthy choices? That's that's really when I look about. I mean, I did relationship education as part of a prevention program for women's space. And it was like people would always ask, well, why do these women? Cause it was always these women, even though it didn't always work that way. Um, keep choosing these losers that abuse them. And it's sort of like, you know, that's not really what was happening. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) You know, A, but B, it's like even looking at myself when like I've made some choices that weren't so kind to myself, you know, when I go back and I look, I say, oh, there's a part of me that was trying to get this, seek this out, this thing, this wound, this healing I needed. And some, you know, and the way I worked it out was seeking it through this unhealthy way. And, you know, once I understand that, you know, then I'm able to make a different choice. So I think just providing... Meaningful, supportive relationships with youth to healthy adults with good boundaries who care about them is going to – is makes a whole lot of a bigger difference than what, you know, whether they have a sip of beer or not or whether they see somebody in a bikini or not. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think, you know, young children shouldn't be exposed to adult things. Sure. I don't think it's, you know, it's developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. But I also think that our you – know, that culture is – Very diverse, (laughs) very diverse. Yes. And so, you know, we want um, when I when my mom she taught me to say is for certain things uh, like certain like words Mm -hmm. like what's an appropriate word we'll say. Well, in this place, these folks wouldn't like it if you used like swear words. Yeah. You know, but in this place, it's okay. You know, and so she wasn't even teaching me any morality around it. She was just simply saying. Well, if you want everybody to be comfortable in this environment, these are the these are the norms, you know, but in this environment, other norms apply, you know, and so it was like kind of learning how to navigate, which is something that I think pretty much every person of color has to do from like. As soon as I leave the house, right? But it's also really helpful. Co- code switching for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Like, what are the what are the I've norms? Talked about how yeah. um,
0: if you handed me a red fruit that had like a little stem sticking out of it, I, as a young kid, would know that that is an apple, and I would know that it's a ringo. And just the 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 most formative level because when you fire it, you wire it in terms of your mm-hmm. neurodevelopment, right? Um, I learned that there is not just one, um, you know, you know. This is a. This is not just a phone. It's a denwa. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is mm-hmm. not just a key. It's a kagi. Um, and, you know, sometimes. No, I'm not going to say there's limitations to that. I think it's great. I think it's great to be pluralistic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, The last question I ask you, and I hope that the battery on my phone is still going and they're still being (laughs) filmed and people aren't just looking at a black screen. The audio version (laughs) is just awesome, though. It's definitely here. Like, that's where you want to be. People are scrolling anyway. They're not. not, (laughs) Yeah. If they're still listening, they're on the audio version. Shout out to the people still on YouTube. Um,
1: (laughs) Oh, is this live? So I guess you won't be editing it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, Rose. Maybe this is the last question. Like, um, every person has limits and limitations. Um, and what is, like, a limitation of your candidacy?
1: You mean, oh, like...
0: Like, you know... How am I some... not
1: awesome? Yeah. Mm, it's a, such a hard question to answer. <laughs> you know, what I mean... politician. I, the, right. The, mm. the, I mean, you know, I think that, like, my limitations are, are are that, you know, I don't know all there is to know either. Yeah, So... You know, some of the questions like you talked about, um, about the polarization in politics. And I think that, you know, that it's easy to get polarized. It's easy to think that folks who don't agree are um, are the enemy. And so I think that I'm vulnerable to that as much as anybody else. But I will also say that I am working on that because I recognize that on another level, like I can connect and engage with almost anyone because I love people and I'm just, you know, that kind of person. So I think that if I get out of my own way, I can do that and just remember that, you know, most people are, are way better, <laughs> way better <laughs> than our worst fears. And so, you yeah. know, I mean, I think it's a limitation and I think it's something that I need to keep learning more about. Awesome. <clears throat>
0: thank you so much. This has been a really cool chat. And um, I officially endorse Rose Wildy for re-election to the Lane ESD board. Well, and thank you. Um, hopefully we'll chat again sometime
1: well thank you for doing this yeah it's been great and thank you for watching
0: <laughs> all right bye everybody
1: Bye.